Welcome everyone to another episode of The Scuttlebutt. I'm your host, Sean Hall, Director of Programming with the Veterans Breakfast Club. We're a nonprofit in Western PA whose mission is to create communities of listening around veterans and their stories to connect, educate, heal, and inspire. You can find out everything there is to know about the VBC on our website, www.veteransbreakfastclub.org org, including all of our in-person and online events, sign up to become a member, donate to our mission, as well as sign up for our free quarterly magazine. As for today's episode of The Scuttlebutt, I will have on Victoria Kelly. She is the author of the book Homefront, uh, which was recently released. She's also the author of a fiction book, Mrs. Houdini, and a collection of poetry, When the Men Go Off to War. Victoria graduated from Harvard University. She received her MFA in creative writing from the Iowa Writers Workshop and her Master's of Philosophy in creative writing from Trinity College Dublin, where she is a U.S. Mitchell Scholar. Her fiction and poetry have appeared in Best American Poetry, the Autumn House Anthology of Contemporary American Poetry, Prairie Schooner, Southwest Review, and dozens of other journals and anthologies. Her novel, Mrs. Houdini, was a People's Magazine Best New Book, a USA Today New and Noteworthy Book, a Jeopardy pick, and a Publisher's Weekly Star debut. Uh, I had a great conversation with Victoria. I loved having her on the program. Uh, please check out her book, Homefront, right down here in the description. Also, uh, When the Men Go Off to War. Uh, you can check out Mrs. Houdini if you're into fiction as well. Um, but hope you enjoy this conversation above all. I know I did. Uh, so thank you so much for supporting the podcast and enjoy the show. Joining me now is Victoria Kelly. Uh, you are the author of three books, uh, and I'm really excited to dive into the stories of each of these books, especially your upcoming uh, book, Homefront. Um, but love for you to introduce yourself. Welcome to the Scuttlebutt. Well, thank you so much. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to be on here. Um, I love what you guys do. And yeah, I'm just happy to talk about my stuff, military stuff, all all that, all the stuff. So um, yeah, so I am a writer. Um, I have written three books, all different genres. So poetry, mm -hmm. fiction, and then a short story collection. So fiction, um, fiction, sh fictional short stories. Um, and I've been, yeah, writing for 20 years. And um, I was uh, a active duty spouse of a Navy fighter pilot for about 10 years. Um, today, I'm a veteran spouse. Um, and just, it really impacts the stuff that I write, all those experiences that I had and, um, just pretty, you know, like I love being active in the military community and supporting spouses and families and all of that stuff. I've had so, on... a, mom, a mom of five. <laughs> so don't forget that that is important. Yes, that is that is a big part of my life. So Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, and I've had on uh, Blue Star Wives uh, throughout the, sort of the course of the Scuttlebutt's history. Um, so, I, I, you know, it, it was interesting the first time I had a Blue Star Wife on because uh, you got to dive into that world a little bit. And it's not a world that we get to hear about all that often, um, especially whenever, you know, a lot of the talk is usually with just the veterans of, you know, Vietnam or World War II. Um, but uh, did you come from a military family? Were you exposed to that world early on? Or was it something that was brand new, fresh to you whenever you got married? No, like, I knew nothing. So, I mean, I, um, the closest military connection I had was my sister found out we were related to the revolution. <laughs> we, were, we could trace our family in the Revolutionary War. So at least part of it. So that that was really it. Um, my uh my grandfather um was in world war ii uh, like most people of that generation um he was a medic in nagasaki after he went into nagasaki after the bomb was dropped wow. um so that had a huge impact on my family um because he had 
severe PTSD and um, drank and he actually died when my mom was only 13. So I never met him, but Mm. um, that definitely had, um, I think, kind of a ripple effect through, you know, the family um, that, you know, he had that experience. So, um, yeah, that was, I mean, that was my closest relative who served. So So how much of a cultural shock was it then whenever you were (laughs) brought Um, into the military fold? I was young. I was a sophomore in college. Um, and I was, I went to the Naval Academy I, I for a conference. And I, at the time thought I wanted to do international law and there was this international foreign affairs conference. Um, so there was a student from, they do it every year, a student from pretty much every um, college or most colleges around the country and they come together. Um, that was where I met my the the man who then became my husband he was a student at the naval academy so i got in like really early <laughs> so um like you know academy life and then you know um we kind of went our separate ways to do graduate school we were doing graduate school different places and then eventually got married um and then kind of entered that like whole active duty life um after that what so, were your expectations of it and and how did it, the real thing differ from that um i you know, I always loved it. Like I love the community. Um, I came before we got married. I was at, um, I did three years of graduate school in, um, creative writing programs. So it was like with a very like intellectual group and everything was uh, like serious and revolved around, you know, writing and publishing and all that. And then you go from that to like the military life and it's just completely different. And like, no one cares like where you went to school or like what your degrees are or like all any of that stuff. Um, I loved how it was just like real people, like, and everyone was on the same playing field, you know, like you're, you know, people's ranks, but you, everyone knows what everyone makes, <laughs> you know, like there's no, like, <laughs> like the salaries are public. Like right. there's no, like, I, I felt like there wasn't really like that weird, like competition that you sometimes get like in the, academic world so I like that that was nice did that shift your career you know as sort of your husband's career and then you getting involved in this did that shift what you you know you said you wanted to do international law so did you go yeah no I gave that up (laughs) in college because I took the LSATs and hated it and (laughs) so I think that and then I I decided to apply for some um international scholarships for writing because I was also really interested in that that was my major actually was English so um I was fortunate I got a full year scholarship to Ireland to do a a writing program um with the uh Mitchell scholars um who are part of the U.S. Ireland Alliance they're like such a wonderful organization um so I did that for a year and then went to the Iowa Writers Workshop for two years and did another graduate program. Um, so I was like fully in the writing world. So actually it worked out great because I was able to write, like, you know, we had all this security being in the military. I ended up teaching at Old Dominion University when we moved to Virginia Beach. So I taught creative writing there. So I was able to like balance things really well. And I, I thought that worked out really nicely. Um, with the idea of being a writer. It was, it was good. <laughs> I give a shout out to Virginia beach. I spent, I spent some time there myself, not, not as a military brat, but I lived there for a little time and loved the oh, jet okay. noises and Oceana. And that's when you said old dominion. I'm like, oh, I know that area. Oh, I love Virginia beach was the best. We lived 
block from the ocean i mean like you don't realize it when you're there how great it is and then you yeah. leave and you're like oh that was actually really amazing like i could walk to the beach every day you know and that was that was amazing so yeah best place a little different than ireland i'd like to hear a little bit more about that maybe our listeners as well just like that sounds like a really incredible opportunity and living in ireland for a year and what what was it like what did you learn yeah it was you know and again like I was, I was 22 when I went over and like, you don't realize how lucky you are <laughs> like to have, you know, we had the, the scholarship program was amazing. Like we had a stipend, you know, room and board, we had a stipend, we had did trips like all over the country. And then I would travel around Europe at the time. And, um, and Ireland is really interesting because it's so small. Um, and especially like it, it's got a really rich writing background. So the mm -hmm. writing community is really small. So I was in Dublin and, I would go to these events and there'd be like the most famous Irish writers there. Like, but like, yeah, so there, I mean, I, the cool thing about that was like, you don't have that same like fame aura in Ireland mm -hmm. with anything like with actors or anything like that, that you do in the U S so that, that was really great. Um, and, um, and then also the travel, like being in Ireland was just amazing. I actually went back uh this past summer that was the first time I'd been back since I left there um and um it felt like uh, nothing had changed it was just uh, beautiful so so yeah. your first collection your poetry collection when men go off to war were you sort of dabbling in this idea as you were you know because that takes quite a while to develop a, a poetry collection and the writing I'm sure was that yeah. you know that was um so when I was in Ireland and at Iowa, I was focusing on fiction. So that was kind of my concentration was fiction. Um and I did work with like some wonderful poets like in Ireland. Um Gerald Dahl was one who no like has heard of him here, but in Ireland he was a big deal. And um and so I always love poetry, but um it wasn't actually until um my husband's first deployment when I was working on a novel and I was just getting like really frustrated. I, it was kind of like going nowhere. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to take a poetry class for fun. So, um, I just did it kind of like be creative in a different way. Um, and I started writing and those poems ended up becoming the book. So, um, so it was not what I technically went to school for. Um, but it was really refreshing because I, didn't have I didn't put any pressure on myself with it and I just kind of was doing it for fun and it um it worked out so now you know I was, I'm able to do both and I just like like that another tool in the toolbox uh yeah lead me through sort of what the feelings were you're, you're, when your husband gets deployed for the first time you know like you said you sort of entered into this military life not really knowing anything but what was that like and did you have a support network yeah, I mean, I think everyone is lucky to have that they have the support. I mean, it's most people have a really great support network within the the squadron or the unit or because um especially like for the spouses, I mean, we we had text chains, we had email chains, we got together every at least every month, often like more. Um you do a lot of social things um with within the squadron. Um so that was really great. And you know, you're living right near each other. So that, you know, so that's great. Um so I didn't have family there, but um, but I had a lot of friends and that was wonderful. Um the first deployment, we did three. The first one, um I was I had not had my daughters yet. So that was kind of hard because it, it did get really lonely and um, and so 
you had to like I, I was like how do I fill my time you know like um but then I did a lot of things that I wouldn't have otherwise done so I took that class I trained for a half marathon like I I just was like what's on my bucket list you know and I and yeah. I did that and I was young I think I was like 25 um at the time so you know it was um it was just like different experiences um so that was uh that I think actually was the hardest like because I was um maybe alone um the other two I had my two daughters were who I had just had two daughters like a year apart um and so the other ones I was like much busier and it was just a different experience um yeah. you know being a mom and and I never I I know a lot of people struggle being a single parent on deployments I actually for some reason found that easier I don't know <laughs> oh, um yeah. I had a good time with it I yeah it was um it was it was you know it was a, a an interesting time and you're in a beautiful place you're in Virginia Beach and mm -hmm. so that was lucky you know and so rabbit hole real talk uh as a, as a father of two myself at, at times do you ever look back on that sort of lonely time and think boy that was that was nice in some ways because you have five kids now so it's like there's a biz there's a busyness to life that sort of like yeah. you sort of look back and think like wow there there's just the juxtaposition of that those lifestyles are very different right no it's so interesting because um I don't I don't think I'd want to go back to that right. um but you do kind of I was thinking the other day I was like you know, like your identity becomes so much of like a parent. And I was like, what was that like when I like didn't have that identity, you know? And yeah, yeah. I was like, just trying to like figure out what I was interested in. And, um, mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and so it was, it was different. Like I, I was, yeah, there were a lot of things like um, that, you know, I enjoyed doing like to be able to go out. And I was also lucky that I had, you know, I had insurance, like we had an income. And so I had like that free time to go out and like take these classes and I, um, you know, hang out with friends and all that. So, um, yeah, it was like a different phase of my life completely almost. Um, yeah. but I have good, good memories, really, really good memories of it. So is, is, do you think there was a, a time that sort of like your writing had to mature over like it, it, it could you could you have written when men go off to war earlier you know or did was that something that you kind of had to grow into as you sort of developed your writing style and, and life experiences yeah I think it yeah it could I could never have done that early like the stuff it's funny like the stuff that I was writing before that it, you know it wasn't as good like you don't have these experiences I mean I think being in the military gives you a lot of great material <laughs> for writing um because there's so much to it you know mm -hmm. and um, and so that was that was great so i think um and i was kind of writing that book in real time almost like as i was going through things and then i'd write something um and then i find that with fiction i kind of need to do it afterward like later as i need a lot more time to reflect whereas i feel like with poetry it's more of like an in the moment kind of thing um can you define that a little more I, I wrote down like sort of talking about the differences in the genres like writing between poetry and fiction you know why why do you feel that is um I think that poetry is like it's so much of the emotion like the emotion is the key part right I mean the the words are important but it's you have to make people feel something um 
Whereas with fiction, you're bringing in so many other elements, like there's the setting and the characters and it, the plot and all of that's really important. The emotion is important too, but, um, but it's not just like getting across a feeling. And so when you want to write a poem, when you're actually feeling something, because then it's authentic. Whereas with fiction, you need to think about it a lot more um, to plan it out and, um, and make it interesting to carry it across like multiple pages. What were the emotions that you were attempting to get across in that first collection? I think they were, um, the loneliness thing was big. I think like fear, you know, like not knowing what was going to happen, um, which is always like a part of the deployments. Um, and, uh, you know, family, um, I think those were kind of the big ones. It was like, what is it like to have all this uncertainty that was part of that experience? Uh, you said you were married to a, a fighter pilot. And of course, like as a civilian myself and, you know, probably some of my listeners are like, you know, what is the, that, what is that type? All we have, all we have really in our conscience is, is Top Gun. You know, that's sort of like, yes. you know. And that's like, so not... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, which it, is it good is it's good to like get the truth of like what that really is yeah I think um it's funny like um I think that a lot of pilots like who are advanced in their careers have that top gun type of aura um but it they actually start I feel like most of them are kind of nerdy um like technical people you know I mean yeah. it starts with a lot of studying and like they're memorizing like these 500 page books, right. Of information. And, um, like the type of person that is really into that and really precise to be able to do all of the precise things like in the cockpit is just not like necessarily like the same kind of jock type personality that might be drawn to like seals or, um, rescue diver, like something like that, you know, like the, the, the serious athletes, you know, um, you need to be in good shape because of the G forces, but, um, but you're not like, um, as it's a lot more mental, I think, than it even is physical. A lot of the time. What jet was he flying? Um, the F-18. Oh, okay. That's my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> did you, did you ever get to fly in one? No, I wasn't allowed to. No, it's like really, um, I don't, very few people I think can fly in them, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I've like been in it, like I've seen the, the mm -hmm. I've been around them, I've seen the cockpit, but um, I don't even think I'd be able to, like the, the G-Force thing is <laughs> not, was... not my speed. So. My bucket list is take me up in one and just off the ramp and straight up in the air. It's like, just give <laughs> no, me a ride. I'm trying I'm to... <laughs> Um, but back to the book, the, uh, did you have other blue star wives who read it and sort of their reaction to, to how you were feeling? Uh, did that come across? Uh, what were their reactions? That, that was the best part because I published that one, like while I was in it, you know? And so I got a lot of feedback from not just people I knew, but like a lot of other spouses around the country, um, which is really awesome because like poetry is not that widely read. So, um, somebody messaged me, like they saw it in a bookstore and like, San Diego or Barnes and Noble in San Diego and I'm like Barnes and Noble has like the smallest poetry section first of all but then the fact that that book even somehow made it over there um was really cool um so I think like that I I got yeah I got a lot of wonderful um messages about about that book 
how did it how did you get published that's a little more maybe a little more technical question but like that was your first you know your first collection and what was the process like yeah um with poetry it's very different because it's it's a lot harder to get published um because there's not as much money in that in that genre so yeah. a lot of people do it with like smaller presses or they apply for like they con there's a lot of contests and the prize is publication um I just randomly sent it to the Naval Institute Press and they were interested in it so they, that was my publisher and they were amazing um I loved working with them um and so that was just me like writing them a letter and I was like hey here's this manuscript you know um in general with fiction it's a lot different because um you know you need an agent and you go through a lot of like the agent process for that so mm -hmm. uh, between the two poetry and fiction is do you have a favorite do you prefer one over the other or is it just kind of how you're feeling that day I I don't like that's how I feel like I I like to be able to do both um mm -hmm. I'm working on a non-fiction book right now and I, I just mm -hmm. you know sometimes I feel like you can get burned out on one thing and then you kind of have to switch it up a little to make it interesting you know mm -hmm. yeah. uh now you said you had two daughters uh in the subsequent deployments and i read that you had to go through a pretty rough time with the hurricane and living in a hotel room with two toddlers and i i i would want to jump out a window uh, yeah. <laughs> I think that would be tough uh, take us through i mean you said th those ones were you said it was easier than the than the loneliness right from the from the earlier deployment yeah, like looking back, I don't know why I feel like this was easy because it doesn't sound like it. But like, um, so we had, uh, so we had a huge hurricane. We were in our house. So we we, we had bought a house, um, you know, near the beach. Um, and and the hurricane came in, and it wasn't like the worst hurricane, but the ceiling just started leaking. Um, like all the water is like pouring through the the ceiling and all the coming down the walls. Um, so I had, you know, afterward I had someone come look at it and they were like, yeah, like your whole house is ruined. <laughs> I mean, there's so much water in this house. Like we have to literally rip out your entire house, um, because of the mold issue. Yeah. Um, so I, um, so I said my kids were one and two at the time. Um, and I, I was really lucky because like we did have flood insurance, which like everyone who lives near the beach, like you got to get flood insurance yeah. and you don't realize that's not part of homeowners insurance. So, um, so we were super lucky. It was all covered. Um, but yeah, it was like a six month renovation, um, to redo the house. Um, and so I lived in a hotel, um, like actually on the ocean, which is kind of cool. Like we had the view, but I took the kids and we just like lived in a hotel room for six months. Um, mm -hmm. I just like took some suitcases and put everything in the garage. And I just kind of did that. Like, you know, I cleared out the whole house and like hired a contractor and like did all of that. Um, but you know, I think, um, the hardest part was not doing that. I think it was like when my husband came back and then mm -hmm. the work was still going on. And I think that was really unsettling. Like, to come back to all of that um it i think that sent that sent us into like a downward spiral we, we ended up getting divorced unfortunately after um probably about a year after he got back um but yeah i think like that whole issue and the the homelessness of it and then mm -hmm. trying to figure out like he was switching jobs so like i think he was you know trying to figure out like are we going to dc we didn't know where we were gonna be um and then we ended up selling the house because we moved so it was it was just like very chaotic um right. so yeah so that that was a hard time like 
I think the aftermath of it, like it, sometimes it's a little easier when like you can just make all the decisions yourself and then, you know, it's, it's just you. So, you know, you don't have a, you know, you don't have to run things by someone, but. Yeah. Did you yeah. have like his family supporting you guys during that, at that time in the hotel, like your family, like is your support network, like, you know, obviously like you had an incredible amount of strength to just be able to like handle that family unit and be able to live in a you know a, a much smaller space yeah I think his family was really great with um kind of helping us work with like the insurance and the contractors like because they've done renovations a lot and so I I would reach out to them for help and you know questions and then my family was living in North Carolina at the time mm -hmm. and um and so I would go down there a lot um and so I did I like I was able to spend some time some time down there that was like a five-hour drive so it wasn't that that far and we're at this time were you working on your second book the fiction book mrs houdini yes yeah so that that was in in progress uh or no actually no that had already come out actually at the time yeah that book had come out so um so yeah at that at that time i had kind of finished with that book tour um and i was i didn't get a lot of writing done <laughs> during that experience for sure <laughs> Uh, yeah. What gave you the, the idea for Mrs. Houdini? And, and you know, it, it definitely is a big shifting of gears from that first poetry collection. Um, yeah, it was, um, I was trying to figure out um, like something interesting that no one had written about before. And I read this article about the Houdinis and how after Harry Houdini died, um, his wife, Bess Houdini, did seances for 10 years trying to contact and they had had this pact mm. that, that he whoever died first was going to come back and communicate and they were real believers in like the afterlife and like spirit communication and they they said if it's real like one of us is going to do it so she did all these seances and then she ended them after 10 years because she wasn't able to reach him and I thought that really was horrible and so I was like what if I rewrote this story kind of like you know and I made up this scenario where like what if she had actually contacted him but she had to hide it for some reason like she couldn't mm -hmm. make that public and that kind of sparked that whole story um so I wrote that novel about their marriage together which was super interesting um because she was like his his support network like they didn't have mm -hmm. children she was his like rock basically um and then so the the book alternates between their marriage and then the aftermath of her trying to reach him did you have a previous interest in the houdinis or was this sort of came from that sort of thing you wrote read about you know it, it came from that like i've always mm -hmm. had an interest in like spirituality and and those topics and so i had that's i think why i found it so interesting like i love you know, like hearing about like mediums and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'd always kind of liked that world. Um, and so then I did like a year of research before I even wrote anything. Um, and just learned everything I could about magic and and the Houdinis and all of that. So it was really fun. Um yeah, that was a that was a fun experience. Um there's a really uh little known museum in New York City. It's the Houdini Museum. Yeah. Um a lot of people have, I had, I grew up right outside New York. I never knew it existed. It's like kind of hidden on like the second floor of this random building. Um, it has all these amazing artifacts. Like that's, that was really cool um, to visit that um, and just, you know, be able to see a lot of his things in person.
are they selling your book there at that museum um i don't know actually i'm not sure it's really they small should. i don't even know if they had a gift shop um you know <laughs> they did buy there they did they were selling um they had uh he had a huge key collection because he was a locksmith basically that was how he did a lot of his tricks um and they they were selling some of his keys so i have one of like houdini's keys oh, that he used to practice um so that was cool I, that was a fun thing so between uh you know uh, when men go off to war and the upcoming home front those are uh, those two books are a bit about you know write about your life write about what you know but mentioning that you had sort of this interest in spirituality that it kind of is in a you know thematically in Mrs. Houdini. Are there other themes that you seem you're drawn to as a writer? Um, that's honestly a big one. I think that comes into all three books that I've done. Um, that um that interest in spirituality and religion and in different faiths. And that's like the nonfiction book that I'm working on right now is is um incorporating um research that I've done into all different types of base and how they intersect. Um, and so I always found that really interesting. The Houdinis were, um, uh, Houdini was Jewish and his wife was Catholic. And when they met, like nobody did that, nobody married <laughs> in the, between religions back in like the early 1900s. So, or they got married in the late, late 1800s. So, um, so that was like really interesting to me too because they had this interfaith marriage at a time when like that was kind of taboo so um yeah so I I, I think that is a big theme um I think just like women's experiences in general so my book the recent book that that just came out last week is Homefront um and those short stories are all centered around women um and their different perspectives um so that's another one I think that's a big one um and uh parenthood comes into some of it um and all of that uh so yeah those i think are are the themes well definitely let's let's dive into homefront this uh this episode uh, of scuttlebutt will be uh, when it's released the book will have been out for about a month at this point okay yeah. um but uh so homefront uh where did where did these ideas start to creep up and and why did you decide to write it as 14 stories and it took you quite a while to write it yeah i i wrote it um I'd say, honestly, I'd say it, it probably took me like 10 years because I was, I wasn't doing it continuously. Like I would write a story and then I would, you know, work on something else and I would come back. And the other thing about, um, fiction and stories, um, is that a lot of, like, you want to also get them individually published before you do a collection. So you're like, I was sending them out to literary journals and, you know, getting them published in these journals to kind of build like, your credibility um, with, you know, with the writing. So, um, so that takes forever. Like you send them out and they'll, it'll be, you know, you'll hear a response like six months later. So I was kind of doing that very slowly, just building up, you know, my list. And, um, and uh, yeah, so I, I kind of like dipped in and out for a really long time. Um, and then I, yeah, I mean, I ended up, um, reaching out to the University of Nevada Press, they have a series called the Battleborn series, um, which is a military focus. Um, and I sent them the book and um, they fortunately took it. And um, that was wonderful. Uh, so I was glad that it, you know, that it's out there, you know, that it was able to get out there, um, especially because it was something that I worked on for so long. Yeah. It was, was it based a lot off of your experiences as a military wife? Yeah, I think, um, it's based, yeah, it definitely was, I mean, there's no, 
like true thing. You know, there's nothing that's like completely taken from real life. Um, but I would say like the settings is all like places that I lived. I mean, there's Virginia Beach shows up there, Pensacola, Florida, Ireland is in one of the stories. Um, like so the settings are a lot of um a lot from real life. And then um and then the scenarios are kind of um maybe starting point from things that really happen but then like you know they go off on tangents so like um you know one of them was uh when my then husband was doing his very early training um back in Florida was where they first do their their first training um and uh one of the guys um who was training with him ended up dying in a training crash um over the mountains and it was that was the first time that like someone that we knew you know had had an accident like that so um so that one I think really affected me and that became a story um to the only real you know the only thing based on real life was it started with you know a crash and then everything else was fictionalized but um so I would take like these little like glimmers of things and and make them into something um another one uh was uh kind of based on my time in Iowa when I was there I, I was volunteering with a human rights organization um and we one of the things that they did is they helped um immigrants who were being detained um receive like legal advice and so I went to a detention center in Iowa with a with a young lawyer um and we met a Bosnian man who had been you know was in immigrant detention um but that was like before Mm -hmm. this was a political issue that was like way back before you know I didn't know anything about it like now everyone knows a lot about it but um back then like it was um kind of an unknown thing um and we talked to him and um his story was just really powerful and that ended up becoming a story um he had been in the Bosnian war and so um so that was where I pulled in like war in a different context like other than the U.S. military um so the stories like kind of touch on on war in like other small areas too. So that was another one that was based kind of kind of on real life. Is there something about just uh the, like the why of writing uh Homefront in the sense of uh did you write it because you're you just enjoy writing and this is the stories that were sort of in your head at the time or was there like a like an underlying reason like I need this is the book I really need to write right right, right now? It's funny, it wasn't a book in my mind until like the very end. And then, and then I, you know, and then I started to see some similarities between everything I was writing. Um, but at the time I was, each one, I was like, how can I just tell a really good story? You know, like I, I um, it's hard enough to get people to read <laughs> nowadays, like um, with like all these amazing TV shows and podcasts and all that. So, I mean, I think more now than ever, like the story just has to be really interesting. And so I really wanted to write interesting stories with beautiful language. And um, and so that was what I was just kind of narrowly focused on each one. Mm -hmm. And then I had 14 and that, you know, I was like, this is a book. So <laughs> that's how that happened. <laughs> how, and, and bouncing off that, how do, how do you stand out in that crowd? Like you said, it's, it is a, it is a very messy, muddy crowd of entertainment options for everyone. Um, so how do yeah. you really sort of find that niche for yourself? Um, I think a couple things. I think um, the military theme is um, there's not a lot of women writing about that mm -hmm. theme. So I think that I'm a little bit of a rarity in that respect. Like there's there's been some amazing women like Siobhan Fallon, um, 
who wrote, you know, when the men are gone and she's written several other books, um, related to the military, um, novels. Um, and so she was like a real mainstay. She's a friend of mine. And, um, she, you know, she's one of them. The other one who was a real inspiration, um, Jehan Dubrow is a poet and she's a military spouse. Um, and she has written some amazing poetry about the military. Um, but there's not, and there's a lot of nonfiction out there, but there wasn't a lot of like fiction, fictional stories written by women who have been in those experiences. So, um, oh, another one, Tiff Marcello, um, wrote in a book club for far away, which was about being a military spouse. She was in the military and a spouse. Um, so, uh, but it's like a small group. That's why I know them all because yeah. it's a small group. So like we know each other. Um, so that's, I think one thing. And then I think maybe the other way I try and stand out is, um, bringing in my poetry background, um, mm -hmm. into the fiction. So like, I think a lot of people say like my fiction is le very lyrical. Um, and so I'm, I love like war language and like beautiful language. And, and so I try and bring that into my writing. Um, so I think maybe that's another another differentiator. Uh, in that vein of like, there aren't that many uh, women writing about this experience. We always talk about here, Veterans, veterans Breakfast Club, especially, especially because Todd, the executive director and myself are not veterans, that veterans have their own sort of language. And it it's it's very interesting to sort of dive into a room full of veterans and sort of dip into that language a bit, despite being so distant from it as a civilian. Did you Do you find that being a military spouse, you know, military spouse, veteran spouses, that there is that common language between uh, all of the wives, but also generationally, like the women who were wives in World War II, Vietnam, Korea, through the years. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of acronyms, that's for sure. <laughs> um, and so, you know, you I, even now, like, and the ranks, I mean, even now, like, I know the Navy ranks, but my husband now he's a, he was a Marine and um, like, I don't know the Marine ranks. <laughs> so um, I'm always forgetting them. So I think that is like a little bit of the, the common language. Um, but um, yeah, I think it's more also just sharing that experience. Like when you meet someone who's another spouse, you automatically kind of like them <laughs> um and you know like you you feel this camaraderie um which is really great um and i think that was also part of like why um my, you know when i remarried i i ended up marrying a a veteran um because we have shared like that common background um and you know you could talk about things and like i knew what he was talking about so mm -hmm. um so yeah i think that it it is like its own it is like its own language. Oh, no doubt. Um, for for people that are going to pick up Homefront, what do you hope the takeaway is? What do you hope that that you know, just like in the poetry, that you want the emotion to come across? Or, you know, what are you hoping they take away from that book? Um, I think two things. I mean, I hope it's just really good entertainment. One, you know, like I hope it's just a great read. Um, so I would love you know for that to be one of the outcomes. Um, and then also, um. I think it's something that a lot of people can relate to, not just people in the military or people wanting to know what that life is like. I think that um, a lot of the the themes of um, being, you know, being lonely, like being in a lonely marriage, remaking yourself afterward, be, you know, meeting people in all these different contexts, like all, these are things that I think a lot of people can relate to. And um, 
And, um, you know, even if the, the scenarios aren't like commonplace, um, I think that the, like the feelings behind them um, will resonate, I hope. Uh, it's hard to pick a favorite. You have 14 stories in Homefront, but is there one that sort of stands out to you that this is the one that? Um, you know, I the one that's just always my favorite, um, I think it's the first one in the collection called Finding the Good Light. Um, and that was about um, a pilot's uh, spouse who they got divorced and she was um, discovered by a uh, casting director and then um, was cast in this movie um, that ended up like blowing up and becoming this really big deal. Um, and so that story is about her life as a sudden movie star um, trying to navigate fame, but also not having dealt with a lot of issues from her past. And so um, mm -hmm. how to like deal with that life in the spotlight. Um, and I just think that one was fun to write in a lot of ways because it was like the intersection of these two totally different worlds like military and Hollywood I mean it, obviously they make movies about but in real life like military is not intersected with Hollywood <laughs> um, in, in most you know people's lives so um so that was one of my that was one of my favorites what do you think it, it, for that story what do you think America's sort of fascination with fame is like can do you have to play with that theme a bit in that story yeah yeah and I um yeah, I find it's it's really interesting because I also love like celebrity stories and, you know, and I, you know, I, I find it really fascinating. And so I'm definitely one of those people that's like, you know, wonders what that world is like. Um, And so I think it's like just this desire to be known and recognized, I guess. And mm -hmm. now, I mean, it's way different now too with social media Um, and, um you know, people making a living off of that kind of fame. Um, and so, you know, as a parent, I'm like, I don't, I wouldn't want my kids to want that kind of fame mm -hmm. because I think it's so hard. It's so not just competitive, but like, you don't want that to be the thing that drives you necessarily. So, right. um, yeah, I mean, I think the fascination with fame is really interesting. I would love to explore that in a future book. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's also almost like why people are, even like drawn to the military as a topic because it seems like cool and you know like mysterious and like you know like even the military has its own kind of fame in a way like yeah. um you know someone meets like a fighter pilot or a seal and they're like oh my gosh like they're a little bit like celebrities so um I mean you go to like see the blue angels and they literally are celebrities so yeah. um you know so I think that there's like ties between those two ideas it's the only time I ever sat in F-18 is I got to meet a blue angel and sit in the cockpit. Uh, it was amazing. I was, you know, much younger, I think, you know, an early teenager, but that was, it was that same sort of like, wow, this is really cool. And uh, a more recent time, uh, I got to interview a, a Medal of Honor recipient and that felt very, I don't even know what that feeling was. I had to actually talk to some other veterans about that because it was like, you're standing in front of somebody who, you know, went through something really awful to get, uh you know uh, awarded the the medal of honor and that carry you know and if he didn't wear it you wouldn't even know it you wouldn't even have known that he he was a recipient of it um but he's wearing it in front of you and there's that there's this like aura it's very very yeah. interesting um <clears throat> all of that um, and i don't even think they want that's the funny thing like i've heard a lot of the most medal of honor recipients 
really shy away from that fame like they mm -hmm. when they a lot of them are already out of the service and they're living like really normal lives like it way under the spotlight and then they're like thrust into the spotlight um and the ones I mean the ones who are alive I think also feel a lot of guilt that they mm -hmm. are you know like that they are living so I think there's like a lot of emotion tied in with that um and I cannot imagine what it would be like to have that fame <laughs> yeah like put on you Mm -hmm. you know that you didn't shoot you didn't go after that like that was not the driver of the things they did so um yeah I really respect respect them for sure well if you write a story about that I'll be first line in line yes <laughs> uh, uh, speaking of like your kids and and you know I, I've done the podcast for a time we have these all up on YouTube um you know it, it it's fun to like you know my daughter jumps on and watches them like Daniel Tiger and if I pop over and like throw the scuttlebutt on the TV she's like that's dad. What are you doing on the TV? Yeah. <laughs> and that same idea, your kids like read your books or like, no, like mom's a published author and, you know, getting sort of like an, a, that sort of extra little bit of thing of like, mom has this awesome thing that she did and I can read it and other people have. Yeah, they haven't read them, um, but they're so young. I mean, my daughters are um, not a 10, nine and one. So, <laughs> um, so they haven't, they haven't, my, my, I have two stepkids who are a little older, but they, you know, they're not, at, you know, at that point of that kind of book, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think like, they think it's cool, but like, they also don't care, you know, like yeah. <laughs> they think it's cool, but, um, but I also like to instill in them that like, they can do that, you know, like they're, they're, it's not necessarily about like, getting published like it's just about the experience of writing and not trying to make like that the thing because if getting published is the thing then that um puts like a lot of really strong pressure um, absolutely yeah I understand that from like my acting days of just like if the if the goal is to be a movie star you're probably going to be very disappointed so it's like yeah, yeah. you know go in yeah. and enjoy and and do the job if you're yeah. if, if one of your kids came to you and said I want to be a writer what advice would you have for them well, my two-year-old does say she wants to be writer, oh. so, and I'm always like, ah, oh, well, I'm always like, you might need a backup plan because there's not a lot of money in that. <laughs> Find a niche. Um, yeah. <laughs> um. No, but like I um, but I really encourage it, like because I, I mean, I especially love like them to love reading because yeah. reading is something that I really get behind because um, if you can love a book like you're set like you can explore all these worlds you can go places and never be bored you know you pull out your book so I love like the reading idea and then a lot of readers when they're kids like they want to write so they write stories and they um you know want to write their own books like I wrote my own like books when I was a kid in elementary school I still have my show than my kids and that was what they thought that was cool they thought those books were cool um there's your next collection yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, they're, uh, you know, they're not the best stories, but like, I was so proud of them when I wrote them. Um, yeah. So, you know, I like, I encourage that because um, also I think that writing as a skill is not, is like becoming less mm -hmm. um, prevalent as like with AI. It's just, you know, it's the, the skill of writing and, you know, is, um, it's, I think it's going to be something that not a lot of people have in the future um and I don't know maybe it'll, I don't think it'll disappear entirely I think it's going to be like an important niche that someone can have um and uh and so I like I want them to like 
be good writers because when you're like writing an email to somebody, you want to present yourself. It doesn't matter if you're in business, you want to present yourself well. I mean, I Mm -hmm. taught, you know, when I was teaching at university, um, you know, I would have kids writing to me and they would like write, um, you know, they would start their emails like, yo, like, like, like the way that they would text, you know, like, and so their emails would sound like text. And I was like, this is not a good precedent, like for the business world, you know, like, (laughs) so, um, so, you know, like it's, I realized then how much like the texting life was bleeding in. And so I think it's important to like teach kids how to write respectfully. And, um, the fact that like email is a different form of writing than texting and Mm -hmm. all. Oh, well, one more rabbit hole then, um, because you sort of turned on a light bulb in my head is yeah it's easy to go on youtube post a video and have a description built from chat gpt you know Mm -hmm. but what you're missing out of that description if you read them enough is like there's no real emotion it's just sort of like a description of this so as someone who has has written poetry have you uh read any ai poetry and how does that compare because we've talked about sort of you need the need to be able to express the emotion and you know develop that yeah it's so bad I mean (laughs) it's but the thing the thing about AI is like it gets better every day so like who knows what it'll be like in the future um but I do you know I I use it a lot or I, I look at it a lot because um in my like day job I work in communications um so um I you know and a lot of people are asking like clients want to know like about AI and generative AI and all that. So I've done like some serious deep dives into that. Um, and I have found that it's, it just does not compare. It is great for getting a first draft of something. Um, not poetry. I think poetry, the poems that it writes are horrible, but like, um, you know, just, just writing in general, um, it gets you a first draft, but it sounds like a computer wrote it and you Mm. don't want that. So, um, so I think that it like you need to take steps from that first draft um, to make it sound real and also interesting. A lot of the AI, it sounds the same. Like you can tell um, what's AI after a while. Um, and it's just very factual. Like there is no emotion behind it. So right. um, yeah, so that's an interesting thing that I, I'm definitely going to keep watching. Can you give us a uh, a teaser for the nonfiction book that you are currently writing? Um, I'm still in the proposal phase of it. Um, it is, um, it's the title is Unseen, um, and it's about um, a poet's view of spirituality um, mm. and space intersecting with experiences from my own life. And so it's part memoir, part kind of science like what does science say about all of these things I also find that topic really really interesting um so it's like how does art and science and religion intersect in different ways so that's 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 what it's about hopefully it'll be out be out there in the future and um you know I will come back on and talk about it yeah that would be that would be great um but until then uh we have the recent release of Homefront and where can people get it and you know uh, is it just uh, like Barnes and Noble or where do you prefer? Um, anywhere, anywhere is good. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's on everywhere, online everywhere. So it's like Amazon, barnesandnoble.com. Um, you can get it direct from the University of Nevada Press. Um, and uh, 
or through my website. I have a website, victoria-kelly.com. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's everywhere. If you, if you Google Victoria Kelly home front, you'll find it. So <laughs> fantastic. Uh, and uh, thank you so much, Victoria, for your time today. Uh, for our listeners, check out the description below for all the links uh, for uh, When Men Go Off to War, Mrs. Houdini, and the recent Homefront. Uh, and please uh, like, share, subscribe, ring the bell on YouTube so you're the first to know whenever the Scuttlebot releases new episodes uh, there. And you can always reach out to me, Sean, S-H-A-U-N, at veteransbreakfastclub.org with any thoughts, comments, questions, or even concerns. I'll take critiques. I'm okay with that. Um, but Victoria, uh, a pleasure speaking with you. I, I wish you nothing but the best uh, for Homefront and the upcoming nonfiction uh, book. And uh, yeah, I'd love to have you back on to talk about that one as well. Thank you so much, Sean. We're grateful for the support of UPMC for Life, a UPMC healthcare Medicare program. At UPMC Health Plan, their goal is to improve the health of their members. They can also help you make sense of Medicare, get the answers and information you need, such as how to choose the Medicare Advantage plan that's right for you. UPMC for Life offers a wide range of affordable Medicare Advantage plans, and you military veterans can save money and get more benefits with your Medicare plans. UPMC for Life has plans designed for veterans by veterans. The type of coverage you have from your service may help you decide which plan will be a good fit. If you have TRICARE for Life, UPMC for Life, PPO Salute may be a good fit for you. You can view plan options, including their prescription drug coverage, compare costs, and learn about all the benefits you get when you choose UPMC for Life by going to upmchealthplan.com forward slash Medicare. Thank you so much, UPMC for Life, for sponsoring the Scuttlebutt. Thank you for watching this episode of The Scuttlebutt. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Tobacco Free Adagio Health. Uh, Tobacco Free Adagio Health has been supporting the podcast for quite some time now. We've been so pleased to be uh, supported by them. They are dedicated to reducing and preventing tobacco use and getting the word out about the hazards of smoking and secondhand smoke. They're all about health, so they want people to quit. Uh, they have classes, nicotine replacement therapy, and a popular quit line, 1-800-QUIT-NOW. They also educate people, children especially, about tobacco use from cigarettes, cigars, pipes, chew, snuff, and other nicotine products like vaping. And finally, Tobacco Free Adagio Health advocates for public and private policies that ensure healthy places to live, work, and play. You can learn all about what Tobacco Free Adagio Health offers at tobaccofree.adagiohealth.org. Or you can check out the two Scuttlebutt episodes that featured Tobacco Free Adagio Health. We had a wonderful representative come on to the podcast, talk to us about all the classes and therapies that they offer. Uh, it was one, two wonderful conversations. So I definitely direct you to both of those if you want more information or just call their free quit line 1-800-QUIT-NOW. Thank you again, Tobacco Free Adagio Health for your support.